Great time of worship. I appreciate Jeff and the team. And I told Jeff before we started that we've got the B team or maybe the C or the D team in the pulpit today. So I'd appreciate a good uh, worship time, and it was certainly great. I appreciate that, Jeff. Uh, one announcement that I forgot to mention. Uh, you'll notice if you look in our bulletin today, uh, on the right side, on the inside, there's some exciting news about a visit from a youth pastor candidate. I'm sorry to say that was printed before our youth pastor candidate took another job. So forget that. Uh, God has another plan, and our search committee will go back to work uh, to find uh, the man that uh, God has ordained to be here and lead our uh, youth ministry. So I just want to let you know that before we get out of here today. Uh, still very excited about that search and, and what's happening and, and trust that we're going to find uh, who God wants for us. So for those of you who may not know me, my name is Craig Jones. I'm one of the elders here at FCC. Uh, I served as an elder here from about 2006 to 2019 and then uh, was renominated and accepted election again about nine months ago. Uh, if you don't know, my family and I came to Borger uh, back in 98 and uh, we came to this church in 2003 uh, after a church that we helped plan in town called High Plains Body of Christ agreed to merge with Faith Covenant after Les and his family had started pastoring here. My wife, Lisa, uh, is over here. She's not wearing black today, I'm surprised, because she's mourning the end of summer. Anybody else mourning the end of summer? Teachers, yeah, I see you. Uh, she's here, she is the uh, music teacher at Crockett Elementary. Uh, yeah, kudos to Crockett. Uh, we raised our two kids in Borger. Uh, Cooper, he's an accountant in San Angelo. Carson is about to be a third year law student at Baylor. Uh, I couldn't talk her out of that uh, profession or that school. And she is married to my son-in-law, Daniel, who graduated from seminary earlier this year. I was wondering what else I might be able to tell you for you that don't know me. It might give you a sense of who I am. So I decided I would go ahead and share with you the last three concerts I attended. Next slide. <laughs> That's right. Metallica, Scotty McCreary, and Barry Manilow. If you don't know who Barry Manilow is, ask your granddad. And unfortunately, none of my family members attended the Manilow concert with me. It was pretty sad, really sad. So our next slide this morning, we're going to be continuing to talk about, to build on our theme, We the Church. We're going to talk about We the Church United. Y'all pray with me. God, we come to you today, Lord, as your church. Lord, we, we strive to be the church that you want us to be, Lord. I ask you today as we look into your word uh, for the truths about how you want us to be as, as, your, as your son's bride, Lord. Father, you will uh, speak through me, but not with my words, with your words that are guided by the Spirit. Lord, I pray that where I misspeak or where I leave gaps, that your Holy Spirit would fill those gaps, Father. Pray that you would open and soften hearts and minds today so that we might hear what you have to say on some things that are sometimes tough, Lord. Father, we uh, ask you to go with us and continue to guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, uh, luckily, I hope Les is out on a deck or a porch somewhere sipping on coffee and relaxing, because uh, that's what I understand he's doing. And, and uh, so at times we, we fill in for him and, and try to do our best. But every time that I get to preach, I again am reminded about how hard this is. 
and I get up and talk to juries and talk to judges and handle important things, but I don't deal with the Word of God in front of His people, and it's a big deal. And so every time I get up to preach, I always remind you, next time you see Les, let him know how much he's appreciated because of the things that he does. Because let me tell you about the last 30 days, the odyssey of my preparing for a sermon. So I, I get told I'm preparing for a sermon. I'm like, I've got 30 days. I can split this thing up in like three parts. I can spend like 10 days on every part. I can walk with God in the cool of the day, and he can just wash his word over me. And I, you know, and then that turns into, wait, it's next week? Really? It's next week? Okay, now I've got to split it up. I, my time period's a little shorter. So I do that, which turns into last night working on my slides while my dog is running to the window every two seconds to bark at the air. <laughs> do you have a dog that guards against the air? I have one of those. He's very adamant about it, which turns into this morning, I pull into the parking lot with the Breakfast of Champions Cine Snacks from Sonic. Yes, I pull, into the, I pull into my parking space, I take the last bite, and the cinnamon stuff in the middle, here and here, okay? So as I'm trying to clean up, clean up this mess I've made, I leave my truck and drive, and I start to roll. <laughs> I realize I'm rolling, and somebody, I'm like six inches from your bumper, okay? I manage to stop, and the worst thing is, my wife is sitting in the parking lot behind me with her window down. I, I feel her presence. I don't want to get out of the truck. I get out, and she goes, did you just almost run into that car? <laughs> yes, I have a lot on my mind. So that's just to say what Les does every week and does well, I really appreciate. It's so invaluable. So let's start this way. A man washes up on a deserted island alone. The rescuing party, after a few years, finally finds him. They're amazed to see what this guy has done on the island, what he's built to survive. They see three different structures, very well made out of trees and bamboo and other materials that he's found on the island. So the rescuing party says, can we look at what you've built here? He brings them to the first structure. They go in. They say, what is this? It looks great. Oh, this is my house. This is just my humble abode. Right. This, is, this is awesome. They walk out, and across the street, they see two other, the two other buildings. They say, what's this building? And the guy goes, that's my church. That's the church I go to. And they say, well, what's this other church? I mean, what's this other building? And he's kind of awkward silence. He's not saying anything. He's kind of getting red. And with a scowl, he goes, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> if you're breathing and you've been a part of church life for any amount of time, you've experienced some sort of conflict in this complicated experiment that we call church. I first experienced it when I was about eight years old. I'd moved with my family to Brownfield, Texas, and just a few months after we arrived, we began attending Southside Church of Christ. Yes, there are Church of Christ, former Church of Christ members in Faith Covenant Church. Wow. <laughs> May not have known that. Uh, soon after we started at Southwest, uh, Southside Church of Christ, there was a merger with another church, something you don't often hear about uh, in religious circles. And Brownfield Church of Christ was formed. Now, of course, everything isn't sunshine, rainbow, and rainbows and lollipops in this sort of merger. Uh, even though you, you might think that something that happens so rarely uh, in God's churches uh, would be 100% positive. Unfortunately, where people and personalities are involved, as you know, 
there's always some negative fallout. So a few months after formation of the new church body, another church popped up on the west side of town. And it was populated initially by former members of the two merging churches who just didn't agree with the establishment of the new body. I remember looking around on Sundays soon after that and just kind of noticing that people I had worshipped with, people I had talked to on Sundays, they weren't, weren't, they weren't around anymore. Fast forward to about 2000, and after we moved to Borger, we were worshiping with a body of believers here in town, and, and we made a difficult decision to leave that church because of a difference in our doctrinal thinking and because we wanted to raise our young children in a different spiritual environment. Uh, that split, I, I think, was handled appropri appropriately by everybody involved, and, and, and I'm still comfortable about the decision. I've never regretted coming to Faith Covenant Church. But anytime you pour into any effort for at least a few years, departing is always difficult in some way. So I say all this, I guess, is to introduce our topic today, which if I had to land on one, I'll say is maintain the unity of the church. All of our scriptures will be up on the screen today, but if you have your Bible and want to follow along, we'll start out in Ephesians chapter 4. So Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So when we think about Paul's writings, we always need to consider the context, right? Uh, including especially his audience when he writes. Remember that in the church at Ephesus, We've got a new dynamic. Jews and Gentiles are now being brought together into a single community. And if you recall what we've read in scriptures about the Jews, that could not have been an easy transition, right? Uh, you've got Pharisees and Sadducees and many people who are often very adamant that, okay, if you other people want to come into our circle, then here's some non-negotiables that we have. They're not necessarily sanctioned by God. They're usually probably based on the traditions of men. But we have these things that you have to kind of fall in line with if you want to be a part of us. Uh, you know, and, and that's tough. The church, even now, is a living, breathing thing that's made up of all kinds of people. I mean, Dave Madden and I are in the same church. I mean, God is great. I mean, God can do anything, right? So, too bad Dave's not here today. Um, but, but what happens in the church is rich and poor, Black, brown, and white, traditionally church people and church newbies, uh, hymnal people, contemporary worship people, technologically savvy people, and big chief tablet people. If you don't understand that, ask your granddad about that too. Uh, all of these meet in church. We all sit at the same table. This breaking down of walls is fundamental to the gospel, and we see this further in Paul's letter to the Galatians. In Galatians 3, 27 to 28. Paul says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now you may be sitting here saying, why is this unity thing such a big deal? It is a big deal. Um, you might be thinking, you know, Craig, I have a hard enough time walking my own Christian walk without worrying about getting along with Joe or Susan. Okay, well, let me show you some red letters. Let's look at the red letters and see what they say really quick about this topic. In John 17, 20 through 23, 
Jesus said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know, pay attention to this, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Newsflash. God's plan for reaching the world is not premised on great church programs. It doesn't depend on fantastic Bible teaching. It won't fall flat without a thriving missions effort. All those things are great, and those are things we should strive to create and maintain in the church. But Jesus Christ himself makes it clear that the world will believe in him because of our unity arising for our love for one another. Now, the problem. If we went to church with people who were just like us, same preferences, same upbringing, same background, this unity stuff would be a lot easier. A lot easier. But that's not reality. But isn't it great when you realize, though, that we have the power of God by the Spirit living in us so we can accomplish things that the world can't? Paul explains this in the letter to the Corinthians in chapter 1. He says, the preaching of the cross is, I know, nonsense to those who are involved in this dying world. But to us who are being saved from that death, it is nothing less than the power of God. That's from the Phillips uh, version. I continue, after so many years, to be humbled and amazed by what has happened here at Faith Covenant in that regard. I used to help with teaching the membership class here. And it, I was always amazed at the diverse, amazingly diverse backgrounds and church heritages that people came from when they came to this body and what God has combined here in one congregation. People are matched together as brothers and sisters in the family of God that just wouldn't make sense in any other context. Again, Dave Madden and me, same church, right? And when you think about it, what is more glorifying to God? If people with all common preferences, backgrounds, opinions, like we talked about, were united, that doesn't leave much room for the Spirit to work. People united despite their differences, instead of as a direct result, testifies to the outside world of God's greatness. I've also been encouraged that Faith Covenant is home to those who have been hurt or disillusioned by the church in other, in other contexts. I know that there are people in this room and among our membership now who came from other church situations where they were mistreated and not loved the way that God intended. I sincerely hope we can continue to be a sanctuary for Christians seeking community without having to adhere to non-biblical man-made traditions. Another problem, when you invite a large cross-section of people into your church, you will also unfortunately have some who will inevitably act in ways that could result in division and dissension. Let's see also, importantly, to see what God says about the opposite of unity, about division in his church. Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, 
and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Did you notice that last one? The Lord hates, <clears throat> the Lord hates a person who stirs up conflict in the community. In other translations, next slide, verse 19 reads this way. A person who spreads a discord among family members. A person who sows discord in a family. Anyone who stirs up trouble among the faithful. One who spreads discord or rumors among brothers. Now there's a couple of things that stand out to me as I read this passage and I read these different translations. First, I've heard it said, and I believe it, that the last thing that a writer writes or a speaker says is the one thing that the listener remembers the most. Because of this, writers and speakers often focus on leaving their most important point for the end. I love my job, being a prosecutor. I love representing plaintiffs in a case. And the reason is because although I have the burden of proof in court, I get to talk last. You get to hear from me last. And so I think the last thing you hear should be the most important and the most crucial and the most vital. And I try to do that. Um, I have to think that Solomon and, and the God who guided his words thought this too. When they identified a person who stirs up conflict in the community as the last item in the list of what the Lord hates. Next, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but when the Bible says, this is a list of things that God hates, I feel like Solomon is saying, look, you may have been sleepwalking through the first five chapters of my book, but it's time for you to wake up and take notice. This is a big deal, what God hates. This is a big deal. Finally, on this topic, if you're still not convinced that this stirring up conflict and dissension in the church is a big deal, I think it's also helpful as we consider something that God hates to look at the other things in the list. Did you see that one item, hands that shed innocent blood? I mean, in our human, in our, in our thinking, would we say stirring up dissension in the church is the same as killing somebody? God said it. That's what he said through Solomon. He said, that's what I hate. These are things that I hate, that I detest. I think it's crystal clear how seriously God takes the action and the attitudes of his people which have the tendency to create division and dissension in the body. So what have we learned so far? One, God wants his people to be united. Two, the world will believe in God and accept Christ because of our unity. And three, God hates division and dissension among his people. So before we wrap up today, let's figure out what we are to do. Let's apply this. How do we cultivate and maintain unity in the body here at Faith Covenant? Well, before we go there, why don't we first talk about how it's not done? <coughs> do you deal with this? Comparison to others within the body, lack of contentment. Some people call it keeping up with the Joneses. I call it keeping up with the Smiths for obvious <laughs> reasons. Isn't this the root of a lot of problems in our life? I mean, God knew enough about man and his, who was his creation to include thou shalt not covet in a list of only ten commandments. It's important. So this is human nature, and he knew it was. He knew it was human nature. Paul knew also that this would be an issue even in the church. 
as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We read there, But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every, party su every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You know, it's vital that we as members of his body find, accept, and thrive in our role in that body. So how do we do that? Well, there's probably some in this audience, maybe, that haven't ever figured out or maybe even considered what your spiritual gifts are. Until we know how we're gifted by God and what kingdom purposes we're passionate about, it's impossible to know where we fit in the church. Then once I know what my spiritual gifts are, I can identify ministry, which is most in need of those gifts and where I can effectively serve. When I find that purpose, I and you will find satisfaction and the blessing of knowing that I'm where God wants me to be, which makes it much less likely that I'm looking around, that I'm tempted to uh, be uh, discontented, uh, to not be in the place where I need to be and where I'm more likely to, to possibly cause dissension in the body. What's the second way that we don't do this? Social media, gossip. In other words, dealing with conflict in the same way the world deals with it. So what do we see when people we know feel like they've been wronged or offended? What do we see them do in the world and sometimes in the church? My experience is something like this. Whether it's at school, in the workplace, or maybe even at church, the wronged individual almost never, almost never, did you hear me? Almost never addresses the issue with the other person, with the alleged offender. But secondly, that person almost always talks with others about the offense. And the victim's version of events in an attempt to seemingly, I'm going to assemble my team. I'm going to tell you my version. I'm going to tell you what happened, and I'm going to get you on my team, and we're going to get ready for whatever's happening next. That's the world's way of doing this. The issue usually festers for a few weeks or even a few months. What does that do? It causes the ill feelings to get worse between the parties. But this was bad enough when we only had landline telephones and email. <laughs> Inner social media. And its multitude of uses for gossip and passive-aggressive avoidance of conflict. Now, social media isn't all bad. It can be used for good. I was in, a elder, in an elders meeting one time, and we were talking about a meeting or, or, or something that was coming up in church. And I said, and somebody said, well, I didn't ever see that. I said, it was on Facebook. And this person, who will remain nameless, said, well, men aren't on Facebook. I felt attacked. I mean, come on. I mean, I find that Facebook is a very useful tool in my life. When my kids were at home and I found out about some snot-nosed boy or, 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 or gold-digging girl that was coming into their sphere, that's where I went. They called it stalking. I called it becoming informed. When I hire somebody, first thing, let me see your social media. Let me see what, 
what, what your reputation is out there, what you're creating out there. It, it, it's useful to me. It's definitely useful in my new job, dealing with criminals and alleged, sorry, alleged perpetrators, dealing with that. It's very important. But, you know, So, 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 how, so too often, though, on social media, the way it can be used for evil, posts are intended to defend positions, prolong conflict, and attempt justification of whatever conduct it is. And how much easier is it now to assemble my team on social media? Likes, retweets, those are amens. Those are amens to unbiblical conduct in a lot of situations. So, talking about when my kids were in the house, this is what I did. I made them give me my, their passwords on social media. I always had those. And every once in a while, something would pop up, and someone in my house had posted something or liked something that I didn't think was appropriate. So, here's the procedure logged into their social media, deleted whatever it was, and contacted them immediately with a request for a meeting. <laughs> we had said meeting. We discussed what was inappropriate and what reflected poorly on our family or their Christian witness. I had to look out. I mean, they brains full of mush. I had to help, trying to help. So I would always follow that same procedure whenever that would happen. And I would tell them why that was inappropriate. And hopefully they, they learned a lesson. We in the church, we can't act like my teenagers do. We have to do better. When we go public with grievances and accusations, it doesn't just reflect on us individually. It potentially adversely affects this church's witness to the community. That's a big deal. The scriptures are clear about how important it is for us to protect our reputation and in turn that of the body of Christ. For example, including the qualifications for elders is a requirement that he have a good reputation with outsiders. 1 Peter 2.15 reminds us that it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. It stands to reason, at least in my opinion, that our persuasiveness in communicating the gospel in word and in our actions is affected by how we are perceived by outsiders. It makes it even more important that we handle conflict in a biblical way. The Bible has much more to say about how we to individually deal with conflict we may experience when our brother or sister sins against us. This is another subject that we often, too often ignore. And in church life, we probably haven't dealt with as seriously as we should have. It's tough. It's tough to approach another, another church, uh, church member and say, you've sinned, because what do we think? What do you think is going to happen? Well, what did you do? Here's what you did. Why are you talking to me? It, it's the toughest thing to do, but we are instructed by God to do it as a part of his family. We've recently spoken about el as elders about the need to reinforce these scriptural truths. So I'm excited for a new series. I just texted Les yesterday and, and found out that later in August, he's going to start a series on this. 
talk about how we address conflict in the church, brother to sister, brother to brother, sister to sister. It's something that we need to know. If you want to get a head start, look at Matthew 18, 15 through 18. That's going to be the text. Matthew 15, 18, 15 through 18. So as we conclude today, let's consider a few things that we can focus on and practice in order to achieve unity. Just a couple of things. Number one, <clears throat> accept your role as a defender of the bride of Christ. Next slide. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is a big deal. You are the bride of Christ. We don't want to bring shame and reproach on the bridegroom. It's very important. I found a quote from David Mathis, a pastor and author this last week, which describes our responsibility in this regard, and it was better than I think I could. But let me just, if you'll bear with me, just let me read this to you. Jesus chose his wife before the foundation of the world. He cherishes her with energy and attentiveness. He cleanses her and he prepares to present her pure and beautiful body to himself. And he covenants to be hers and with her for all eternity. The Lord of heaven loves his bride. Does that not make you love her all the more? Does that not make you want to keep from carelessly speaking ill of her? We do not whitewash the flaws of church leaders or particular tendencies and sinful hearts. We don't cover for evil, nor do we broad brush the church, though, pretending to see and know flaws that are beyond our vantage nationwide, not to mention worldwide and across the ages. And we don't, prevent, we don't pretend the church is yet fully cleansed. Christ is still working on us. When we are tempted to dump on the church, we who claim Christ will do well to remember his perspective, Christ's perspective, and his heart, and to speak with grace and truth of our Savior toward his bride. Next thing we should do, give church leaders the benefit of the doubt. Well, of course you're going to say that, Mr. Elder. Give you the benefit of the doubt. Trust you. Okay. Let's look at the scriptures. Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. FCC is an elder-led church. Men who are privileged to serve as elders here are nominated and identified by a nominating committee presented to the existing board of elders for consideration. Candidates and their spouses submit to written questions and live interviews over several weeks so that it can be determined whether the Board of Elders and the nominating committee believe call, God is calling that man to leadership and for the candidate and his wife to confirm whether it is ultimately God's will for them to serve. Frankly, your elders devote their valuable time, deal with difficult situations, and take stands which sometimes result in attacks on their reputation and character in order to serve the body. 
So let me ask you this. When you receive negative information regarding the body of Christ, or even more importantly, hear an accusation against church leadership, what's your first instinct? Is it to trust the information and run with it? I would never expect a member of the body to blindly trust the elder's judgment when confronted with information from someone they might otherwise trust. If you give your church leaders an opportunity to explain the basis for their decision and discuss facts which may not have been disclosed to you, don't we deserve that? Do you know that members of this church in the past have left the church reporting that the decision was based on the conduct of church leadership without even having a conversation with the church leaders they complain of. Does that sit right with you? Is that consistent with the mandate of Hebrews 13, 17? Or the mandate of 1 Timothy 5, 19, which says that one should not listen to an accusation against an elder without two or three witnesses? Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that is wrong. It's wrong. We see from Scripture what the prescription is for things like this. And that's not it. I know today that I speak for Keegan, Steve, Tony, Michael, and Les when I assure you that we are always open and very eager to discuss any concerns that you have, either about questions you have individually or information which has come to you from others. We're always happy to do that. We want to help resolve conflict. We want to help people know truth and to know the truth about situations. It's so important. We are a family. I ran kicking and screaming from this topic. When it first hit me, I was like, no, God, I don't want to talk about this. And then Les had to start reading this book. And every other page is like, Craig, it's what you need to talk about. It's what you need to talk about. And then Michael gets up last week, and he's praying, and he's talking about the family of God, the family, how important the family of God, and it is. We see in scriptures it is the bride of Christ, the family of God, to be holy and blameless. It's so important. So speaking of this book, the elders have been reading this. It's called The Unity Factor, and we're planning on discussing that in the next couple of months. And I came across an interesting observation that just kind of stuck out at me, and, and uh, I think it was God like tapping on my shoulder saying, hey, this is what it's about. And so I wanted to read this to you. Um, the pastor who writes this book is talking about he was talking with another pastor and they, they, they didn't have problems with conflict and they were a very close-knit group and it was a thriving, growing church and he's like, you know, what's going on? and the guy says, there's two reasons and this is from a person who had joined the church and could, was trying to say this is what we like first and he says something about no pressure to join. That's not relevant to us. But in second, we've never been in such a unified church. Usually after you've been around for a while, when you get together in smaller groups, you hear people complaining about the board, the pastor, or the staff. We've never heard that. Maybe we don't hang around the right people. But we've never heard that. We are unified. We're the bride of Christ. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Whether I'm in leadership or not, 
That's, that's where I want to be. I want to be a part of that church. Number three, last point. Refuse to associate with people or participate in discussions intended or likely to divide. Let's look at a couple of scriptures here, and then we'll close. Romans 16, 17 through 18. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. And then Titus 3, 9 through 11. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they are unprofitable and useless. Warn a, diver- a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-contemned. This is the bottom line. Bottom line to everything. When dealing with individuals who want to share information about your church, ask yourself the question. Does this person and his or her statements contribute to improving the unity of Faith Covenant Church? If it does, rejoice in it. Embrace it. Like it. Retweet it. But if the answer is no, it doesn't contribute to the improvement of unity in my spiritual family, the scriptures, all the scriptures that we've read today, would direct us to reject it, flee from it, and examine our relationship with anyone spreading such information. That's what the Bible tells us. So I'm going to let you out a little early. You're not used to that. It's a difficult topic that we've discussed today. I appreciate the ability that I have to get up and address something that's been on my heart. Truth is, when, you know, like I said, I, I tried to avoid uh, this topic. Um, but again and again, God said, this is what you need to talk about. Talk about how big a deal this is. Church unity, being the bride of Christ, being holy and blameless, handling conflict in a biblical way. It's so important. So in summary, it's not about me. It's not about any of the elders. It's not about you. It's not about any single person or couple or family that has darkened the doors, whether it's in the ballroom at the Borger Hotel, whether it was the corner of Florida and Tristram where we're at. It's about this. Next slide. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the leading of your spirit. Again, Lord, I pray where I've misspoken, where I've left gaps, Lord, your spirit would fill that, Lord. And I pray that, Lord, as a church, we would take seriously the mandate of Scripture to maintain the spirit of unity through the bond of peace. To present ourselves as a holy and blameless bride to the bridegroom on that day when we are taken into our house, our home, in eternity, Lord. Father, I pray that you help us to be discerning through the leading of your spirit and how we are able to handle conflict, how we should handle conflict how we should deal with anyone concerning struggles and conflicts and adversarial even situations in the church. I pray that you would guide us as leaders, Lord, that we would be open 
to discussion and to just speaking heart to heart with our brothers and sisters about issues that we have in the church. Lord, and we ask you that you continue over the next couple of months to teach us through your word of how to deal with that conflict. Lord, I love you. I love this church, Father, and I pray that you will build the love of the church one for another. Father, continue to guide us and help us to grow and thrive and join you where you're working, Father. So forgive us our sins today. We thank you for your son who saved us when we were in sin, Father. Lord, go with us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.